Yeah, let me welcome everybody. Isn't my wife beautiful? I had the privilege of being married to her. I am a blessed, blessed man. Uh, welcome today. If I've never met you before. My name is Aaron. I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Coastline Church. It is the highlight of my life, and we're so glad that you chose to be with us today. Let me welcome all of you joining us online or wherever you're at right now. Uh, we're so glad to have you through the power of technology. We know that majority of our church family still is not able to come back to in-person gatherings, and we just want you to know that we love you, and we're glad that through the power of technology, we can be, uh, continue to be a part of your life and be a church family together. Let me say, this is our last week of 21 days of prayer. If you haven't had a chance to join us, every January we begin the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting where we just seek God and give God the first part of the year. We'll be meeting tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. in person and online, Monday to Friday, and then our finale will be Saturday at 8 a.m., uh, and then Saturday night service, we're going to have just a time of worship along with the service that night as we finish up our 21 days. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Before I get into the message, I, I want to I say something that Maybe a little delicate, maybe a little sensitive for some, but it's something that really we, we need to talk about as a church family for just a moment uh, to just really set kind of where, who, where do we stand on certain things going on in the world today. And I want to start by reinforcing a couple of our values because everything we do filters through our values. Everything we are embodies the values of what we have chosen uh, to believe in and chosen to make the bedrock of our church. One of our values is we believe that every soul matters. Every soul, every single person on planet Earth matters to Jesus. They are somebody that Jesus Christ went to a cross and died for. We believe that passionately as a church. Every soul matters. Now, let me, let me help bring this home a little bit more for some of you. We believe that every red soul matters and every blue soul matters. Understand what I'm saying? We don't, it doesn't matter to us what side of the fence you're on. We believe that every soul matters and every soul is somebody that Jesus Christ went to a cross and died for, whether they believe like me or not, whether they think like me or not, whether they see the world through my paradigm or not, we believe that every soul matters. One of our other values as a church is we honor people, period. We are all about honor as a church. Honor is a culture. It's, it's a bedrock. And if you look at the problems in America today, we don't have a culture problem in America. We have a values problem. We have lost our values as a nation. And one of the values we've lost as a nation that we want to we reinstill into the culture of the body of Christ is honor. We honor people, period. We don't honor people because of who they are. We honor people because of who we are. When I dishonor somebody, it doesn't reflect their character. It reflects my character. Right now in our nation, we have two presidents. We have a president and a president-elect. And, and by and large, 50% of our nation loves one and can't stand the other, and the other 50% of our nation loves the other and can't stand the other. And, and we're, we're living in very divided times as people. 
Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't buy into that. We don't follow that. We, 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 don't, we live differently than the rest of the world because our citizenship is not of a nation, but it's of the kingdom of God. That is our highest calling as followers of Jesus Christ. We are all about the kingdom, which means we honor people no matter who they are. So when I get on my Facebook and I dishonor somebody politically because I disagree with them, it doesn't reflect who that person is. It reflects me. It reflects my character. And we got to be very careful right now that we don't lose focus of our mission for our opinion. Because here's the thing about your opinion. In America, your opinion doesn't count. I'm sorry to say, but your opinion does not count in America. What does count is your vote. So go vote your values. Go vote for what you believe. But don't kill your mission for your opinion, because that's what too many people are doing right now. We, we are, our mission is Jesus, period. And too many of us are, are destroying our mission over our opinion. God has called us to be salt and light. And anytime we, we, we buy into a culture of dishonor, we lose our saltiness and we diminish our shine. And God has called us first and foremost to be salt and light of this world, to be light, to, to let people see something that is better than all that they're seeing around them, which is Jesus, and to be salt, which is a preservative. And so we, we, we need to talk about these things because we're living in very ugly times right now, and I'm seeing way too many Christians buy in to all the garbage that's happening in the world today. And again, it doesn't matter to me what side you, you, you personally believe. It matters to me, are you focused on the mission that God has given you? Because the mission comes first. Now, with that being said, I want to talk about something, especially for all of our, our GO team and our leaders. It's a conversation I had with our staff this week, and, and I really want the whole church to hear this for a moment, because it's, it's very, very important to us. And let me, let me first read to you some words of Jesus. Jesus said this, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. If you remember last week, one of the things that Mark taught us in this life of Christ's journey is Jesus grew up living under Roman oppression. And there were many times where Jesus had to submit to Roman authority, pagan, ungodly, anti-Christian as you can get, authority, and Jesus had to submit. Now, when it came to his faith or his, his, his uh, Christian values, then, then no, he stood against the, the Roman oppression that was upon him. But if it didn't have anything to do with his faith, it didn't have anything to do with his morals with God, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So let me ask a couple questions. I'm going to ask these of myself, and then I'm going to give you the answer from myself. The first question that I'm going to ask myself is, do I think that masks save lives? Do I, Aaron Jane, believe that masks save lives? Here's the answer. It doesn't matter what I think. My opinion is worthless. My mission is what it's all about. It doesn't matter what I believe about masks. All that matters is the mission that God put me on earth to fulfill. Let me ask myself another question. Do I believe that the phrase, follow the science, has been weaponized and radicalized in our culture today? Again, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. 
What matters for me as a follower of Jesus Christ is not what political party I affiliate with, not what ideology I affiliate with, but the mission that God has given me to be salt and light on this earth. And if it has nothing to do with morality and my faith in God, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And so for, for people who are struggling with this issue, let me, let me give you some very incredibly wise words from the Apostle Paul in regards to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and our mission. Here's what Paul says, to the weak, I became weak. So if I need to wear a mask to make some people feel comfortable, to the weak, I become weak, to win the weak, I have become all things, to all people, so by all possible means... I might save some. If I'm not being asked to violate my morals, if I'm not being asked to violate my faith, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And if that means at times I've got to go against what I believe, at times I've got to go against... And, and, and guess what? I'm not always right about what I believe. I like to think I am. I like to think the other person is weak and I'm, I'm the smarter one. But my mission is to the weak, I've got to become weak. So that by all possible means, I can win as many people to Jesus as I possibly can. That is our mission. Let's not let our personal opinions get in the way of our biblical convictions. And let me give you one more word from Paul that, that really just seals all of this home for us. Paul says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Only what is helpful. Only what is helpful. Let me say it one more time. Only what is helpful for building them up that it may benefit those who listen to them. This is one of the expectations I set in our staff this week. You know, this is something we talk about. If you're part of our connect groups, when we train connect group leaders, this is something we talk about. We let them know, in your connect group, there's not going to be political conversations. There's not going to be conspiracy theory conversations. There's not going to be COVID conspiracy theory conversations because people are on both sides of the fence and it's not helpful for building them up in Christ. It may be helpful for your political opinion, but it's not helpful for building them up in Christ. And we want this church to be an environment where the words that come out of our mouth are helpful for building people up. They benefit their faith journey. Yes, we got opinions, and, and, and have your opinion. I'm fine with your opinion. But here, let's adopt a culture where we speak things that benefit, that benefit their faith journey, because that's what's most important, our mission. And I know this is a little strong today, and I hope I didn't step on too many toes, and I know it's a sensitive area for some people, but I just, I really, I felt like the Holy Spirit checked me on this this week and really wanted me to say a little bit on this so that we all know what we stand for and who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and what the expectation in our culture is all about. All right, let's move on. Uh, I want to invite you to invite someone to join our Life of Christ journey. I know many of you have been a part of it. We have over 500 people receiving the daily text now, which is amazing, our church family. And I want to invite you to 
we still have like 90 days left. Invite some friends and family to join the journey. They don't have to be a part of our church. They don't have to ever attend a service here. This is something we want to do to help people learn more about Jesus to deepen their faith. And if you have friends who are not Christians at all, this is an incredible opportunity to invite them to learn about Jesus. People can learn about Jesus before they ever become a Christian. And so I want to encourage you to invite somebody today. Invite a coworker, invite a neighbor, invite a friend, invite a family member, even if they're out of state. Invite somebody to join this journey and go deeper in their faith of understanding who Jesus is. Because I really believe we're going to look back on this season, 10 years from now, and we're going to remember the life of Christ season. There was something that happened in my faith during that journey. I went deeper than I've ever gone before. I, I learned more about Jesus than I've ever learned before. It shaped my view on Christianity. So I want to encourage you to bring people along. This week, if you've been following the daily texts and the messages, we're talking about the two great commandments. Mark touched on it last week. Jesus in Matthew 22, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. He says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, let me ask you a question. Who gave you your heart? Who gave you your soul? Who gave you your mind? God is asking you to love Him with what He gave you in the first place. God's the one that gave you the soul. He gave you the heart, and He gave you the mind. And He says, I want you to love me back with what I've already given you. It's going to be a key concept today. Well, how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, Jesus goes on to say, and the second is like it, meaning the second command has equal value to the first command. It's actually how we demonstrate the first command in a practical way. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of the things Mark said last week that I really, really liked is the way he reads this is you will love your neighbor who is like yourself. Meaning, you and I are way more alike than you and God or me and God will ever be. And the way I show God that I love Him is by loving my neighbor who is like myself. It's how I demonstrate to God that I love Him with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. That includes our spouses, it includes our children, it includes our neighbors, it includes co-workers, it includes people who are on the other side of the political Fence. The way I love God is the way I love my brothers and sisters on planet Earth. And again, that would deal with all the issues we're facing in the nation right now, if you think about it. I want to go to a spot where the disciple John begins to teach these two great commandments in his, in his letter of 1 John. And he, he gives us a different angle on these two and the way he interprets it is like this. If someone says, I love God, if someone says, I love God, remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and hates his brother, the other part was love your neighbor like yourself, he is a liar. See, what John is saying is the way we show God the first command is by fulfilling the second command. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has 
seen, because we are way more alike than you and God will ever be, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now, let me help you understand this for a moment. God will never place a demand on your life without first giving you the supply. Everything God ever asks us to do, He will always give you everything you need to do it before He asks you to do it. He'll put the ability in you. He'll give you the supply. He'll give you all the resource. Anything God has ever asked you to do, He will always make sure you have everything it takes to pull it off. Well, where is it? Because this seems like a pretty hard command. This seems like a rule. This seems like a religion, a a law that I've got to follow. Where's where's the life-giving nature of it? Well, you've got to go back to verse 19. John gives us the key to not just the two great commands, but the entire life of Christ's journey, by the way. If you want to be successful at this life of Christ's journey, if you want to be successful in your faith, you have to understand the key for how it all works. Go back to verse 19. Here's what John says. We love. Period. We love. We love God. We love our children. We love our spouse. We love our neighbor. How? Because he first loved us. God gives the supply, then he gives you the demand. The only way I have the ability to love is when I've received love. Until God takes his love and deposits it into my life, I don't have the ability to love him, to love others, to love my family. First, he has to love me. You see, when I have a revelation of his love, when I receive his love, when I understand the grace that has been shown me, all of a sudden, I now have the ability to love him back. You see, I can't love the Lord your God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind until he first loves me. This is a huge concept to understand. See, if you don't get this right, if you don't understand verse 19, you're going to mess up the two great commands. You're going to try to do it in your own ability. You're going to try to do it with willpower. You're going to try to do it with with self-discipline, and it'll never work that way. You do it with his strength. You do it with his love. You do it with his power. Our power will fail. My human love will fail. My human love is so so tainted with selfishness that if I had to rely on my love alone, I'd never be able to pull this off. So thankfully, it's not my love that I'm basing it on, but it's receiving his love that empowers me to do it all. This brings us to an incredible concept that we we have made a bedrock of our church. If you've ever been a part of one of our freedom groups, and they're launching soon, if you've not signed up for a freedom group, if you've never been to one, I'm about to teach you a portion of what I teach during week one, and I cannot encourage you enough, if you've never been through freedom, this, 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 is, this is one of the critical bedrock courses of our church. There's actually a number of classes available that you can check out, but freedom is one of the bedrocks. And the way we, the way we phrase this, it's the tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, there's two ways to approach God. There's two ways to approach Christianity. There's two ways to go through this 
life of Christ journey. You can, you can watch the daily text through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's going to mess you up. Or you can watch the daily text through the tree of life, and it's going to be the most enjoyable, life-giving journey that you've ever been on in your faith. But it's all how you approach. And that's the key question. How are you going to approach God? How do you approach God? You see, the journey that we're on with life of Christ is incredibly important, but how you're doing it is way more important than the journey itself. In other words, your approach to it is more important than the curriculum or what you're going to learn itself, because there's two approaches. You, you can approach it through the gospel, or you can approach it through law, a list of rules, a religion. Grace, law, gospel, religion, it's your choice. And the problem is, sometimes they look the same, because they're, they're very subtle nuances between the two, but I'm telling you right now, one approach will not work. It's, it's, it, it, it doesn't... It, it, destroys you from the inside. So how are we going to approach it the right way? Well, again, if you've been through freedom, it goes back to the second story of the Bible. The first story in the Bible, Genesis 1, is all about creation. And in fact, that's the first story of your life. God created you. You were born. The second story is also the second story of your life. You're given a choice. How are you going to approach God? How are you going to decide to be godly? How are you going to live out the Christian life and be effective at it. Genesis 2, here's what it says. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now listen to this. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you've ever read this story in, in a children's Bible or a kid's book, this is the part of the story where Eve's naked and she's got the long hair covering up her body and she's got the apple in the hand and there's a bite out of it. This is that part of the story. Now, there's no apple in the story. The Bible never says apple. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. It's just kind of like our idea of what it is. And here's the problem. Most of us think that the choice is between good and evil or sin and God. That, that's the way we look at this. God has given us a choice. Are you going to choose good? Are you going to choose evil? Are you going to choose sin? Are you going to choose uh, uh, me? But it's way more subtle than that. See, these two approaches are incredibly subtle. You see, the choice is between life and the knowledge of good and evil. So it's not good and evil, it's the knowledge of good and evil. And, and think about it for a moment as the knowledge of good. The choice is between you're going to approach God through the tree of life or you're going to approach God through the knowledge of good. Like, I want to learn how to be a very good person and not do evil things. What's your approach to Christianity? Is it this knowledge-based, learned behavior, or is it a life transformation? It goes on to say, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You're able to consume whatever you want to consume. Meaning the tree of life was under that consumption. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And we've seen that. When you approach God through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it kills your faith. You feel dead inside. It feels like a cold religion. The reason why Christianity has such a bad reputation in America today is because too many people are approaching Christianity through the knowledge of good and evil, and they feel dead inside. It's like, I don't feel life here. Like, like I know it's supposed to work, but why do, I, why do I feel so dead inside? It's the approach. We either have a life-giving environment, or we have a behavior control environment. You need to control your behavior and obey God, or God's going to get you. What's the goal? Now enter the devil. It's the third story in the Bible, Genesis 3. And it's the third story of your life, too. First story, you were born. Second story, you were given a choice. Third story, you now have an enemy that's trying to attack you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, Satan is all about lies. He's all about deception. He's trying to deceive her. Here's the thing you need to know about your enemy, the devil. He can't lay a hand on you. The devil can't touch you. All he can do is lie to you, and if you believe the lie, you end up beating yourself up on his behalf. And that's what we see. You believe his lie, and all of a sudden, you're destroying your life better than he could ever do. All because you believed his lie. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. And here's the lie. You're not going to die. You're not going to die, the serpent said to the woman. Don't believe that. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be... Look at this. This is fascinating. You'll be like God. Well, isn't that what we're supposed to be? Aren't we supposed to be more and more like Jesus? Aren't we supposed to be like God in our faith? I want you to see what the devil's doing here. He's not appealing to her desire for sin. He's appealing to her desire to be godly. See how subtle this approach is? Satan's biggest temptation in your life is not to get you to do bad, horrible things. Satan's biggest attack on you is to get you to do good things that distract you from the best thing, from the right thing. He's appealing to Eve's desire to be godly. Look, this is going to make you more like God. You'll be more like God. He'll be pleased with you if you do this because you're going to be more like him, knowing good and evil. We've got to be very, very careful because one approach feels right. One approach feels like, I'll be more godly if I do it this way. Like if I can pray four hours a day and read my Bible, eight chapters a day, I'm going to be more like God. But if you're doing it under the wrong filter, it's going to kill you on the inside. It's going to produce death in your life. For God, and then it goes on to say, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. They lost their innocence and all of a sudden shame 
began. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. This is what happens every time. You approach God the wrong way, you lose your innocence, you lose the joy, and you feel shame. When you live a Christian life through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're never going to feel good enough. You're always going to feel like God is disappointed with you. You're always going to feel like you're not doing enough. You're just not good enough. You need to work harder. You need to pray more. You need to read more. It's the fruit of living out of the wrong tree. So how do we approach it right? I'm going to give you three thoughts on how to, how to approach this the right way. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says this. Do more to get to God. You've got to do more. You need to read more. You need to pray more. You need to serve more. You need to give more. You need to do more to get to God. It's this, it's this, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Wizard of Oz. Some of you maybe in my age bracket. Remember when Dorothy finally came to the great Oz? What do you want? And that's, for so many of us, that's our view of God. What do you want? Why are you bothering me? Do more. Work harder. It's this warped reality that if you do more, God will grant if you perform, if you eat from that fruit, you're going to die. The tree of life says, receive the fact that Jesus has already done it. Jesus already lived the life that we should have lived. He obeyed perfectly. He went to the cross on our behalf. The gospel is God treated Jesus the way you and I deserve to be treated so that God can now treat us the way Jesus deserves to be treated. It's the power of the gospel. We have to receive that Jesus did it on our behalf. So that we could receive all of His goodness, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because He earned it. And He deserves it. That's what the tree of life says. Rest in His finished work. This is why in our culture we say righteousness. When, every time you see Paul teach the word righteousness in his letters, he always uses righteousness as a noun, not a verb. Righteousness is not what you do to be right with God. Righteousness is who you are that makes you right with God because of what Jesus has already done. I like to illustrate it like this. Uh, when my son was born, I've got a 12-year-old boy and a 3-year-old boy. When the 12-year-old was born, we didn't put him on probation three, for three years before we gave him our last name. Like, we didn't say, you know what, let's just see how this thing works out. I've got to make sure you don't end up on drugs, you don't end up in jail, and if, if things go well, then you can have our last name. No, he was given our last name the day he was born. Why? Because of who I am. Not because of him. Because to, to, to be very honest with you, when he was born, he was the most selfish human being you've ever seen. Like, it was all about him. He didn't care about anyone around him. Like, he never asked us how we were doing. He never helped around the house. It was just, wah, feed me, wah, change me, wah. I mean, it was just like, if you've ever been around an infant, they are selfish, selfish creatures. And yet we care for them and we love them, not because of their performance, because of who we are. You see, when I was born again, I was given the last name of God, righteousness. Not because of who I am, but because of who my Father is. So we receive the fact that Jesus has already done it. John 5 says it like this, you study the Scriptures. You think by doing more that, that you're going to find me? Because no, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that if you read more and you pray more and you do more, you're going to have eternal life. He goes, you missed the point. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. 
It's all about me, Jesus says. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. The goal is not how many chapters you read. The goal is finding Jesus in the chapter. Getting the life out of it. And I'm telling you right now, there's two ways to go through life of Christ. You can watch these videos every day through the filter of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's going to mess you up. Or you can go through these videos every day through the tree of life, and it's going to be the most enjoying journey. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, keep trying to get God's approval. And it's based on the assumption that God really doesn't like you. That God's disappointed in you. That God's upset with you. That you're not good enough. And so you need to keep trying. You need to keep trying. You've got to to work hard to earn His favor again. God is this cosmic cop in the sky just waiting to catch you speeding so He can smack you over the head with His billy club. That's the idea here. We've got to be very careful what our view of God is. Too many people have a warped view of God because your view of God will determine the relationship you have of Him. See, Adam and Eve, they went and hid from God. Why did they hide from God? They, they, they were with God for years. They knew His mercy and His love and His nature. Why did they hide? All of a sudden, the sin gave them a warped view of... They thought God was going to be disappointed. He was out looking for them. Hey, where are you guys? And they're hiding because of their shame because they had a warped view of what they thought he would think and feel about them. Messes you up. See, we got this idea of this. Let me give you a picture of God for you. Like when, when, when my boy started walking around like 18 months or so, whenever it was, maybe 13 months, 18, I don't, I don't even remember. I just know he walks now. Whenever it was, we started the process. When, when he would, you know, the, the little babies, they start walking and they're all hobbling. When he would trip and fall, I didn't look at him and say, you idiot. Like, what's wrong with you? It's not that difficult of a concept. Put one foot in front of the other and just walk. No, I like pick him up and love on him. It's okay. Come on, you can do it. Let's, let's get up and come on, try again. That, that's how I responded to him. Do you realize that's how God responds to you when you fail, when you sin, when you, when you mess up? God's not tapping his foot in heaven saying, can't you get your act together this again? I mean, come on. No, he's saying, get back. He gets it. He understands how tough this world is. He lived here. We have an advocate sitting at the right hand of the Father who understands everything we've ever been through. He's not mad at you. See, the problem is we, we, we see ourselves as teenagers. We see ourselves like we, we should have this together by now, and God still sees you as a toddler hobbling around in your faith, tripping and falling, sometimes messing up, and he's not mad. He's, not, he's just picking you up, saying, come on, we can do this. We can do this. See, the tree of life says, receive the fact that he already loves you. He already loves you. And let me take it one step further. He loves you on your worst day. Think about that day you committed the worst sin you've ever committed, the thing that you're more ashamed of than anything else, that, the thing that still maybe even haunts you to this day. On that day, you did the worst thing you, you ever imagined you would do. He still adores you. Here's what Scripture says. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were sinners, while I was totally broken, totally messed up, total wreck of a life, Jesus Christ died for me. He didn't wait till I cleaned myself up. He didn't wait till I got it all together. He didn't wait till I worked out my issues. No, while I was messed up, 
He died for me. And that demonstrates his love for me. And then finally, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says obey out of duty. Obey or you die. Obey or you're punished. And again, you see the Bible as a list of rules. It's a bunch of have-tos, not want-tos. This is why at Coastline we say one of the things around here often is at our church, you don't have to do anything, to be very honest. You don't have to give. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to serve. You don't have to do anything. If you have to do it, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. You see, this is a church where we don't have to. We get to. We want to, to be very honest. I don't have to read my Bible. I want to read my Bible. I can't wait to, to see what God has to say about me. Because I love Him. I have a relationship with Him. He, died, he shed blood and died for me. I want to know what He has to say. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. So the tree of life says we obey out of delight. I don't obey because I have to. I obey because I want to. I can't believe I get to do this. That's what Jesus said. He said, my burden is light and easy. John, in the very next chapter of 1 John, he says this, this is love for God. You, you want to know how to love God? This, this, this is how you love God. Obey his commands. Well, there you go, pastor. See, it's a bunch of rules. It's a bunch of demands. It's, a, it, it's hard. Obey his commands. That, but look what he goes on to say. His commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. It's only a burden if you don't want to do it. I mean, no, if you want to do it, it's not a burden. If you want to do it, it's a joy. It's a delight. If you don't want to do it, it becomes a burden. Well, how do his commands become not burdensome? Do it through the tree of life. This is why in Hebrews 8, it says, I'm going to take my law and I'm going to write it on your heart. What does that mean, write on your heart? It means it becomes your appetite. It becomes your nature. It becomes your desire. It becomes what you want. Why? Because you're doing it through the tree of life, not the knowledge of good and evil. His commands are not burdensome. Whoever has the Son has life. See, when you do it through the Son, when you do it through His strength, His ability, His love for us, you have life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So if you allow the Son in, if you allow Jesus to be the center, His commands are not burdensome. Why? Because they become the delight of your heart. Now, does that mean 100% of the time? No, there are times where I have to use my self-discipline and willpower to do things. You just don't want to live there as a Christian. I'm happy to report that I've been on the journey long enough now to tell you that it's well a majority of my life delight to have to. There are a few times where you got to do it for whatever reason. And, and, and what I've recognized in my life is when I feel like I have to do it, it's because I've forgotten the love. I've forgotten the grace. I've forgotten how good he is to me. But when I begin to dwell on that grace again, when I begin to dwell on the love again, all of a sudden the have to goes away and it becomes a delight again. I thank God that I have self-control for the days that I need it. I just don't want to live there. I want to live 
in the place of it being a delight. And again, all that means is as a human being, I don't live in the tree of life 100% of the time. I wish I did. I'm kind of like a monkey on a vine swinging back and forth between the trees. You know, I, I catch myself in the tree of knowledge of good and evil all the time. Fortunately, I, I've learned to try to catch myself quickly and swing back to the right tree. But I find myself at times being judgmental. I find myself at times being negative. I find myself at times living in the wrong tree. I just want to swing back to the right tree as quick as I can. And so let me give you the key thought for the journey that we're embarking on through life of Christ. Accept the grace of Jesus to encounter the words of Jesus. When you accept his grace, when you accept his, when you approach him through the tree of life, all of a sudden his words come, come alive at another level. Because we're going to be studying the words and the life of Jesus over the next 90 days as a church family, and it's either going to become a hard, cold religion to you, it's either going to feel like a list of rules and a list of demands and a list of commands, or you're going to approach it through the tree of life, and it's going to be enjoyable, and all of it, it's going to transform you from the inside out.